0: It's coming.
1: It's ML Elric, interrupting my own show. I know that's probably what I should wait for Sean to do. But I want to let you know, this is Last Call for Merchandise. We have great swag available, but the sale ends Wednesday, August 16th at 8 p.m. So if you want to get some of our cool gear, please get your order in now. You can find out how to do it at mlsoulofdetroit.com. Click on Shop. Great stuff. It ships within two to three weeks. Last Call Wednesday, so please, it's a way to support the show and look really, really sharp. <laughs> you asked me to ride in the It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit.
0: You might be qualified,
2: Emil.
1: I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Albert? Hey, kids, it's your old pal M.L. Elric making my bid to be the next general manager of the Detroit Tigers because we made a trade. We traded Mark Fellhauer and we didn't get a 22-year-old A-level infielder who we don't really need. We got Eli Zaris. That's like trading Otani for... Uh, he's not Otani. That's like trading for Otani. It's like trading uh, Jamer Candelario for... Or no. maybe it's maybe it's the Phillies
2: trading a, a mediocre minor league prospect who haven't gotten past A ball for our best pitcher. So
1: who won his first game in Philly and then pitched a no hitter in his second. Yeah. Yeah. Lorenzen. Yeah. So we didn't need him.
2: No, that was no. yeah. and then we, good got, we got five infielders in the minor league system who are already are ahead of the guy we got. Who might be good, but to me,
1: that's a bad trade. He's a 22 year old A leaguer, right? He's getting kind of long in the tooth for playing that well, I don't low. I know that. He? He's
2: 22. You know, Kerry Carpenter didn't really hit it big till he was 24. He was drafted okay. in 2019, but um, you know, we don't need prospects. The Tigers need hitters.
1: Well, anyways, we have an uh, all star here,
2: and we lost
1: we lost Mark, who uh, I guess I'd say Mark is more like uh, Cabrera. He had some good years. But now we're just kind of carrying him, you right. know. It's, That's a, such a bad analogy. It's really. <laughs> such well, an awful analogy. Because Mark didn't have any good years? Well, you know,
2: well, because he's, you know, baseball players lead their lives opposite of the way we do. We get better as we get older. They get worse as they get older. So I would say that Mark is more competent now despite his many flaws that you're happy to point out oh, yeah, we than got- he was 10 years ago because he has more experience. But athletes live their lives in reverse. I
1: guess that's true, although—which is maybe why they make so many stupid mistakes early on, like Jameson uh, Williams and everybody else doing these well, things. that's just that... immaturity.
2: How about yeah. Javier Baez? He makes more more mistakes as he moves into his prime. Uh, and now he's on
1: bereavement leave. Do we know why he's away from don't the I
2: don't know that, but I, I'm not going to minimize the fact that he's in bereavement, but— I think I think Tiger fans are in a state of grief as well from having given him 140 million dollars for
1: the next several and he's years. He's so erratic. We had
2: Gibby in here a couple of weeks ago on the on the Drew and Mike show, and I figured he works for the team and 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 he's going to defend the players as well he should. And I just said he's erratic. He's um, uh, he's got the, an OPS that's embarrassingly low, and we're stuck with him for another three years, and he didn't disagree.
1: Yeah, but, well, it's a, Gibby's kind of a straight talker, and I think. The Tigers probably need him around more than he needs to be around the Tigers, but yeah, it keeps him engaged. Yeah, no, and, and he's a guy who stays active, but uh, yeah, no, I, I look at uh, at least with Baez, he said he's on bereavement leave, whereas last week last year Rodriguez just disappeared. Right, they didn't know where he was. They couldn't get him on the phone. They couldn't find him anywhere. And he's... yeah, that's
2: a that's a strange, you know, there was a time where we never heard about athletes with, with mental issues. It wasn't until in the NBA about five or six years ago, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, who played for Toronto, admitted that they had anxiety, they had depression, uh, the pressures of the game were weighed heavily on them. And athletes could never do that. You know, athletes uh, still in terms of pain, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll walk off the field as if nothing happened and then they'll collapse on the sidelines. Right. So we mask that. We mask mental problems, too. But now it's become a lot more uh, common. I think it's I think it's where society is. We are a mess in this society. People are alienated. They're lonely. People. Don't, I, I was looking at these stats. People. It, it's it's stunning. Uh. The percentage of people with no close friends has multiplied four times since 1990. Uh, uh, people who aren't married or have a romantic part- uh, partner at 40 years old uh, uh, is, is down, you know, a large percentage since, since 1990. Um, 25% of 40-year-olds uh, are, are not married, and it used to be uh, much, much less than that. And over half Americans say no one knows them well. What the hell does that even mean? Percentage of high school students' persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness is up to 44%. So there's something very wrong with society, with civility, with, with hatred, with people misbehaving. Uh, we don't learn morals or etiquette in school anymore. And you see what happens on airplanes and in restaurants. Restaurant owners say they got to, once a week they've got to kick somebody out for unruly behavior. So our society is, is, is a mess. And without getting political, seventy-four million people felt that Donald Trump is on a is on a moral based plane that they can agree with. That, that so, feels a little
1: political, but uh, well, it is a little political. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you know, they can say say Biden doesn't have a, a lot of fans either. No. But it's. Um,
1: but speaking of social outcasts, this is a perfect time to introduce our other <laughs> part of the team, Mr. Sean Windsor, who uh, nobody really knows. Sean Windsor. He's. Uh,
2: Does he he's, have? To, do people know? That's right. Uh, nobody knows him well. He's one of no. those
1: uh, Americans
2: on the fringe.
1: There, believe me, if they knew him <laughs> as well as I know him, those statistics would be higher. There'd be people <laughs> avoiding him like, uh, like. The so, so
3: which is it? Do you nobody knows me, or you know me and. I mean, which is it? you got to pick one, right?
1: Well, I wouldn't. Well, I'm or is a no- it just
3: all. It's all about the joke, which is uh, maybe reflective of the larger issues. Uh, Eli's talking. Well, about.
2: I, I don't know Sean well, so he seems like a good enough guy to me. But you obviously know him at a deeper level and finding a lot of well, a lot of issues that you're not comfortable with.
1: One of Sean's many flaws, and again, we don't have time for those either. Is he's 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 too quick on the draw, but uh, I am a nobody and I know him well, so they're not mutually exclusive. Really? Where are you? Okay. Are you on assignment? Where are you?
3: I'm on vacation, but oh, okay. I'm doing this because, uh, you know, I know Mike well, because I do have at least <laughs> one friend, and uh, and I didn't want to let him down today. <laughs> right. Even though I couldn't get there in person, I'm sorry about that, Eli, That's but uh, right. no. I miss I'm you. Actually, uh, I'm actually trying to take a little time off before we, we ramp up with, with, there's another sport in America, and I, I get it, you know, you get to a certain age, and baseball's all that matters, and we can really tell how riveting that is for our culture at large, but but football starts in a few weeks. And uh, so I'm taking a little time off to, to ramp up for that.
2: Yeah. It's the, uh, I'm I'm not taking time off for that, but I'm not paying attention really until they start the season. I I, I listen to talk radio and I read the papers too, and Jamison Williams this and Jamison Williams that. And, you know, it's great to get into the psychological study of, of, of is he the real deal? What's wrong with him? What's happened? Why isn't, he the, why isn't he the same guy? Why is he dropping balls? Why was he so great in college and not now? And I, I frankly can't answer that. But um, football, as you say, is incredibly compelling, it televises in in such an in amazing way it so fits in with 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 uh, society at large and and violence and, and and all that all that stuff it's 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 amazing what what's happened in, in football because when I was a kid growing up it was kind of the NFL was kind of a flea bag
1: league until about 1970 oh and the AFL I mean that's they, who were they you know they were the upstarts and they kind of they, you had two leagues competing, and no one really seemed to care that much. Well, they, they, they forced the merger because, as
2: we found in golf, you've got to have all the best players in one league. You can't have a league without all the best players. Right. And so the AFL had very wealthy owners like Lamar Hunt. The Hunt family still owns the Chiefs, who have been a powerhouse for all these years, and they weren't going to go away. And once Joe Namath and guys like that started going to the other league, they had no choice. They had to merge. Same thing happened in the NBA – Julius Irving in one league, and and you're probably going to call yourselves the best. So, uh, football's football's amazing, though.
3: Really. Well, well, as as you know, Eli, you haven't been a uh, long time, uh, as Mike would say, legend around the the Detroit sports uh, Detroit sports scene, the, the journalism Detroit sports scene. There were forty eight thousand people at Ford Field for the preseason opener against the New York Giants, the Lions preseason opener last Friday night. Which is just crazy. You're talking about almost fifty thousand people for basically a glorified scrimmage. So there were the the training camp's been what two and a half of well, three weeks in. I think fans have been in there for a little over two weeks they've been sold out every day. People lined up in an electronic queue for hours and hours just to get into training camp. They've sold out their season tickets at Ford Field for the first time in that stadium's history. Something's something's different. Uh you can we can measure it in some ways, but then in other ways you can't measure, but you can feel it. And I'm just kind of curious what you what you've seen you know you say you don't pay attention but it's it's hard not to notice oh, well, so, the the hype and the buzz right now oh right? for
2: sure it's, and and i think it's 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 one of the great NFL stories going in they got the they got the the, the coach that wants to bite off your kneecap he's he he had exposure on hard knocks was tremendous for the lions then they win 8 of their last 10 games you don't win 8 of 10 by accident in the NFL so there's some real stuff going on there i've i i'm kind of 50-50 on the hype i think the offense <laughs> could be terrific. They got runners who can catch and catchers who can run. And they got the boy genius, the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who's apparently everybody in the world wants. He's only in his 30s, but he's this, this visionary, kind of like Sean, Sean McVeigh was some years ago and may still be. And so, uh, you know, uh, suddenly the Lions are a great story, and they're going to be on national television a bunch of times. And – it, they could be very exciting, and is only one game a week. And each week in football is, it, it's it's dramatic. It's win, winning is dramatic, losing is dramatic, and and you and, and what sport? I think about sports fans, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. They always take short term results and make long term uh, predictions. Or and so they win a game, we're going all the way. They lose a game, we suck. So the 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 drama is there and uh, could be very exciting and of course you got the lions history the you know the same old lions and, and, and it's almost a, it's a, a statistical anomaly to go this long Without winning a playoff game, we have two teams enmeshed in, 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 in statistical. The Pistons. How do you how do you not win a playoff game in 15 years in a league when over half the teams make the playoffs? You don't win one playoff game. And, but but they're they're, they're one one hundredth of the interest that the Lions have because football's big and 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 Sean uh, people are going to be paying attention. Win or lose. So yeah, rest up. You're going to be busy.
1: You know, most uh, people involved in football are actually doing two-a-days now, Sean. They're working harder to get ready for the season, and you're you're taking all this time off. It's kind of curious.
3: <laughs> well, no, you're you're a union guy. You're an of-the-people kind of guy. I mean, at least you say you are. I've never really seen any evidence of that. But, um, yeah, apparently you hide behind closed doors in a trench coat from time to time. I'm not sure what that means exactly. But uh, how many years are we going to go in this society of ours with, with, with not taking our time? You know what? It's high time you get to a certain age that you want to take some of your vacation time. I know for you, most of the years of vacation, but uh, it's it's time we start taking advantage of what's right there, right, Mike?
1: Yeah. In fact, uh despite your somewhat uh slanderous and inaccurate comments, I did help rebuild the Detroit Newspaper Guild from twenty three percent membership to about ninety percent. I guess.
3: Well, that's what I thought. You, that's what you, I thought. You so I missed some of you- that.
1: And helped get us a fifth week of vacation for longtime employees, which I hope you're taking advantage which of.
3: Which I've never which I've never used actually, but I thought this year I'm gonna to try to use that. So, so now who's Thank the bad
1: you. union guy? Come on, sit on your ass some more. It's it's good for you. I have a good segue for you here to get into a topic you want. Oh, yeah, but I'm I, I do I, I'm interested in some of those statistics you were talking about, the loneliness and everything, but, but let's, let's get into this a little bit, well, too, because yeah. as, lo- as people who hate the Lions now, I'm in a very lonely group well, because everybody loves them now. What, one benefit we have with
2: watching the Lions on TV is that they're all nationally televised games, and so you have national broadcasters that aren't necessarily aligned with the team, so a lot of times you get fairly honest commentary about oh. when a team is having a hard time. One thing you don't get in baseball where where announcers are on edge all the time, and we saw what happened in Baltimore this week, where a, a recognized and, and respected Baltimore play-by-play announcer read something from the notes. Now, the years I spent of the Tigers press box, you go to the, the PR guy and say, uh, what's this or that? He said, read the notes. It's in the notes. Just read the notes. Well, this guy read the notes and got suspended for two weeks for simply saying that the Orioles had won more games than, in 2023, at Tropicana Field, and they had the previous two years, for that, pointing out even in praise of the current team doing much better, I guess he brought up the fact that they had some bad years as if fans didn't know about it. And so he's suspended for two weeks. Across the country, broadcasters saying, how can they do this? This is ridiculous. How, you know, what, what, how can telling a fact get you in trouble? It can.
1: And on the face of it, it's good news, right? We've won more games. And if you've been following the Orioles pretty much since the Angelos have owned them, not a good team. So they're going to lose a lot wherever they go. But uh, before we dive into that, because Eli has some some unique insights on this, we want to let you know that this show is brought to you by Luke Nowacki, who is the only advertiser that supports all of the shows on the Red Shovel Network. And uh, the Kaju Cafe, the pride of the East Side. great place to go for music and food. We'll be talking a little bit more about what's coming up at the Kaju Cafe. And the bricklayers will tell you how learning to be a bricklayer can be very lucrative, even while you're training, and how it can set you on the path for a great new career. But this Orioles thing, and, and uh, the Orioles are, are going to be my geek of the week because Kevin Brown should not have been suspended for reading basically what the team thought was fair game. But this notion of you, and, and you hear it, you hear it all the time that the, the Announcers are joint employees of the team and the network, so I think there's this notion when you're just watching the game that they work for for Bally Sports or for for whatever 97 one. But most of the time, no, they work. For They're the, approved. The, they have to be approved the by the team, right? Yeah. And and getting unapproved, sometimes it doesn't take very much. Uh, and we were talking before before we went live about Mark Champion, who used to be the play-by-play man for the Lions, and he was unlike his partner, fairly clear-eyed and and told people what he saw on the field. And what he saw on the field was not very pretty, which is exactly what you'd expect of a team that's only won one playoff game in over 50 years. I always thought one of the reasons Mark Champion got canned was because he was fairly candid, as candid as people approved by the team can be about what's going on in the field. But you said there's more no, to it there's than
2: there's that. there's more to it than that. I did uh, the... Uh, Mark was the Pistons' play-by-play guy, and I traveled with them for six years. It was many a night, and I like Mark Champion. And he still fills about. in on the Pistons, doesn't he? He, he, he does radio. He yeah. does, he does all the radio. Yeah. And he loved the Lion job. He cared deeply about the Lions job, and he got fired. And I said, Mark, because he said I'm better. He felt he was better than the guy that replaced him, without mentioning his name. And very well, he might have been. I said, Mark, you're you're in the media business. It was a personal decision somebody made. It had nothing to do with your performance. He knew Dan Miller. Miller knew Dan Miller from Washington. They were friends, and he put him in. What happened when Fred McLeod, the late Fred McLeod, got the Cleveland Cavaliers job? Because Dan Gilbert bought the team. Uh, uh, Fred had been an intern of his uh, at Channel 4. And he fired Mike Regai, who had been doing doing the games for years, that people liked, because he wanted his buddy in there. And it's the same thing that happened. I said, Mark, you can't look at it as, as, an, as an assault on your ability. It's a, a choice that somebody above you made. I've been fired six times in media. Some were my fault and some not. But it, it's, as long as there's suits in the corporate office, in the smoke-filled rooms, you are, you, you know, you're at the whim. And so, yeah, but Mark Mark cared deeply about the Lions. And the fact that he got upset, oh, no. That's the same thing fans were thinking. I had nothing to do, I don't think, with him being critical because it hurt him. There was a time in the early 90s when he and I were the first two guys at, to get to, at, at Wayne Font's weekly news conference. And they had lost tragically in overtime to the Redskins. This is like the early 90s. And I said to him, because I had to know, I said, Mark, you seem so, so upset. Is that is that because you were or because you're doing that because that's what the fans wanted he looks at me and shakes he said that that really hurt so it really hurt him he yeah. really cared yeah so no it's 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 the person just like the owner john angelos of the orioles it's his personal decision i'm the owner hey you know
1: i didn't like the way it sounded you're out for two weeks that would be the first time matt millen replaced somebody with someone of quality because <laughs> dan miller is terrific Great guy, very good at his job, and I think he gives a pretty straight account of what's going on in the field. I don't see him. I, I, see I don't see him shining it uh, up too much. It's all. It's listen. Uh, he's
2: doing his job. Local announcers in this town. It's it's worship. It's strictly hero worship. See no evil. You know they'll make excuses for for, for Tiger players all day long. they they'll they'll, they're, they'll say, "Oh, he should have had that ball. That's a bad play." You'll never hear that.
1: But, but you've been on Sean's side where you've been media, and I as I recall from your days, you were kind of a guy who brought it pretty pretty hot on the teams. You were not very forgiving. And then you've worked for the teams. How, how do you make that balance of, you know, well, I know I work for the team, but i got to have some well, credibility with the fans because they see what I'm seeing. I, I could, if, if I didn't work for the
2: Pistons, I would say— their defense is so awful. If they don't improve this, they're going to finish last. And and, and blah blah. But when I work with them, I'd say, you know, they're, they're, they have some defensive challenges. If they don't address them, it could it could it could have some it could lead to some problems down the line. So I learned how to say the same thing without a, a hard, nasty edge. But, when, they, but I, when I started with them, they were making the Eastern Conference Finals every year. When they went in the tank, it was a terrible experience. And I couldn't pump up guys like Charlie Villalueva and Austin Day anymore as being heroes when they weren't. And so when Goris came in and fired all of us, it was kind of a relief.
1: <laughs> and did you ever have any, any pressure from someone in the front office to say, hey, Eli, you know, uh, I think I, no, I can read no. through your double talk. You're saying we blow.
2: My, 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 my thing, Joe Dumars was the um, uh, general manager. And my thing was, would Joe be OK with what I say? And Joe was a pretty reasonable guy. He didn't, he, he didn't have to kiss ass. He just had to be fair. So, you know, that, that was, that was the, the, the feeling I had. Plus, I had protection. I knew that unless I didn't step over the line on a long way, I had Pete Scorich who, who hired me, and, and Dumars, who I, I got along well with. But uh, I certainly asked Joe a lot of questions off, off the grid, like, why, what were you thinking to sign Allen Iverson? Did you know he was a gambling and an alcoholic? He had double addiction. So I'd ask him questions like that, but I wouldn't necessarily say it on the air. Jeez.
3: One 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 thing that's interesting to me, lies and you're talking about the the influence or the bias, I guess, of the lo- of local sports broadcasters with the teams. It's a little different with the athletes, though, right? I'm, I'm thinking of the Pistons and the Lions. Greg Kelser, um, who works with George Blaha, Blaha is just going to you know be straight down the middle, maybe pro Pistons. Kelser, at least he's not going to sit maybe. there and talk about why'd you sign Iverson. He's not going to get into contracts necessarily, but he will. Criticize what's before him, and it's similar with Lomas Brown. He yeah. will say, "Okay, he was supposed to be over here." He would, instead he was over here. So sometimes you get a little bit more of that from the at, the, the athletes, the get the guy, the former players who really know what they're looking at. Maybe and maybe they will so. sit there and say maybe. that. Part, pardon me.
2: But but yeah, maybe so. But then they'll kind of give it back and they'll say, "But you know, but but but, but he's but he's still averaging twenty points a game, or he'll they'll they'll, they'll say something to kind of soften the blow." But it, it's a. It's a tough line to walk and the Baltimore example makes it makes it even tougher. You listen to the tight ty- and and they're all nice guys. Matt Shepherd's a friend of mine. Craig Monroe's a great guy. So is Cameron Mabin, but I have a real hard time listening as they I mean, all the years of hero worship for, for Cabrera, he's hitting, you know, two ten with, with, with no OPS, with no power and, and and all they can do is just kiss his ass every time he comes to the plate. It's almost it, it, it almost got embarrassing or it gets embarrassing but, but there is a there's a, a point a there's a
1: point where i think if you know they want to keep you tuned in so they're down by 40 it's like well you know yeah. if they get a couple breaks here they if they return all these onside kicks they're they're right back in it where they're trying <laughs> to keep you from changing the dial but at the same time you, you you can't pretend that what you're seeing right. isn't a disaster, uh, and I, 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 Gibby, I almost pity them sometimes. When you got this terrible product, and you try, you have to make it exciting. Yeah, and it's just not. Right. They can't hit the ball,
2: right? You're, you're just trying to keep the viewers engaged and not and not give up. You'll hear Gibby say, and he kind of he'll say, "Well, we're down seven nothing to the night, but but you never know. A Couple guys get on, you know, hit a three run homer, you're back in the game, you know. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're kind score of score a touchdown. What, 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 what watch watching the end of the Super Bowl this is the ten or fifteen years ago, and Troy Aikman say, oh, there's a world of time left, or there's a ton of time left. And I, I'm thinking, no, there's a minute and two seconds. You're down seven points. You don't have the ball. No, there isn't. A,
1: but, but you're right. They're trying to sell the broadcast all the time. We were at a restaurant up north last week, and they were playing an old ACC game. And it was not that old, but it was a few years old. It was Clemson and North Carolina State. We noticed North Carolina State was down by a couple touchdowns. And it's in the fourth quarter and there's no sound because it's a restaurant. And we're watching, we're thinking, this must be an amazing comeback. That's why they're showing it, you know. And it wasn't. The game just played out. North Carolina just kept turning it over. It was like, who put this shit on? I mean, who wants to see this a second time? But I guess they figured, you know, Clemson people would watch it. It's summer. It's football. And so if it's on the TV, we'll stare at it and, you know, not be we'll – we'll be transfixed because it's, it's football.
2: Well, that, that's true, too, although a, a, a rerun of an old game doesn't quite get you there. But I think, back to the topic of, of, of announcers just soft-pedaling everything and skirting the truth, I think it's insulting to the fan. I, I'm, I went to Michigan. I covered Michigan. I went to every game for year, year after year. Now, about 15 years ago, I, I, I went to a game and said, you know, I'm basically done with this. They won't show a replay if the other team does something well right. they won't show a replay if a michigan player makes a mistake so here i am sitting in the stands and i say wait a minute i want to know whether whether that interception of the sidelines was the receiver's fault was it a great play but they won't show it again and i go i went to school here i covered the game i paid my tuition i'm a fan You think I'm going to lose my loyalty because you show me a Michigan player making a mistake? Go to a Tiger game. The guy who's in charge of the video there is a very good friend of mine, a former producer. He's just, his marching orders. You will never see the other team do anything well, and you'll never see the Tigers make a mistake. As if, are the fans that stupid? They paid their money, they're down here. In fact, I I, I said to my guy who, who does the videos, I texted him one game, he said, I guess I'll have to go home and watch the replay to know what happened here. Because I'm in the stadium and, I, and w- w- with a good ticket, and I don't know because you won't show it to me. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's it's. I think it's like these Orioles. Come on, they're watching the game. They they pay the fees. Don't don't insult them by thinking that if you show the players making a bad play, their loyalty is going to go out the window. So with little things like this, I'm old. I'm crotchety. I've been at this too long.
1: And I just, I just see all the warts. Well, we know you're old because you said you'd go home and watch replay. You wouldn't watch it on your phone, which is where everybody else would. And they'd complain about the crappy Wi-Fi. But I'm wondering how both of you guys handle it when you write something or you say something on the air that's critical of the team, and then you have to go into the locker room the next day or you have to go to the press conference. I mean, what are, what are some of the most tense moments you've had where you told it straight, or as straight as as you thought people could take it, and then you got to walk in there and you know you know you stirred the hornet's nest. Well,
2: Sean should go with that because you're a modern day guy. And I wonder, do the players read the paper? Are they aware of all of that? And have you gotten any uh, any, any negative face-to-face feedback when you've entered a locker room?
1: It's probably worse because they don't read the paper, but somebody in their posse That's has right. said, did you read that shit they said about <laughs> you? And it's purveyor, always yeah. worse right. purveyor than what of there. News.
2: Yeah. Go ahead, Sean. What?
3: A lot, a lot of them do read. Um, certainly the team reads. The, the PR folks oh, read. Oh, yeah. uh, the management reads. The coaches read. You know, I mean, I hear directly from from coaches from time to time, sometimes even through email, which is sort of interesting that uh, because, you know, emails of the moment a little bit, but it's also kind of dated at this point. So I always, I get a chuckle uh, when I get an email from a coach or somebody, but I haven't had a, I haven't had a run in with a player, you know, in a while. And I learned a really valuable lesson. There's a long, you know, 10, 12 years ago, maybe Eli. And do you remember Dominic Raiola? He was Uh,
1: the center center for the Lions
3: and he was kind of, uh, you know, I, I think he flipped the fans off at one point. I, I'm trying to remember. He had a series of kind of interactions where he looked like a, you know, he looked like a fool a little bit, right? And they were, they a were controversial, right? And, yeah. And I I wrote a column being critical of this and that he needed to mature a little bit in that way. And I use I called him dunderheaded. What he'd done, I think, was dunderheaded. And he took offense to that. And um, after he looked Lions, it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Lions called and set up a meeting. And, uh, and, and so I went to practice and w- it was in the indoor practice facility and I'm waiting on the side of the, the, the field and here comes Royola walking off and he gets up to me and he's so mad. He's oh. almost breathing, Ooh. you know, steam's coming out of his ears, right? And his face is turning red and he can barely talk to me. He's so mad. and it was, you know, he's a, these are big, guys. I know. he's a center. And When you see that kind of anger out of, out of a human being that size, it's, it's intense. And there was a PR guy next to me who was trying to do the best. And of all people, Matthew Stafford walked by and 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 this was and looked at me and looked at Dominic and said, Hey, he's not worth it. You know, just in other words, just yeah. be cool, which of course is a nice insult to me. But right. I mean, well, what was your interesting life. Is,
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: no, we we shook hands. We hardly said anything. And he, he did say to me, I'm a ten year vet, I don't deserve that. And he did, he he took issue with that one word. And everything else, I think, was was fair. So I, I just thought, as long as there's not name calling, right, then you can then you can be okay. What's interesting is I was on the road with the team. I think the following week in Pittsburgh, and he saw me in the locker room and walked up to me and apologized. And because gotcha. uh, I think he was he realized he was trying to use his size and so forth to intimidate. And um, so the, I thought that was that was interesting that he mm-hmm. wanted to apologize. But but Eli, that was a really really. That always stuck with me, because you're writing a column and you want you wanna give your opinion, you wanna say what you think, and you wanna be critical when you feel like you need to be, but you also need to be fair and uh and you don't need a name call. And yes. I didn't think I was name calling. I said, What are you done was dunderheaded, but I realized that a lot of people aren't gonna make that distinction, especially if the person, the subject you're writing about. And so I have not done that since I've found other language to be critical without making it sound like it's personal. because yeah. that's the difference.
1: That's, yeah, that's that's Dunder. how hard Sean gets. He's right. a, yeah. He was a disingenuous mountebank. I but, but mean, he's a liar. <laughs> now,
2: now the point. The first thing I was thinking: if if <laughs> actually took a swing at you, it would it would have made you national news, and you might have gotten a you, you might have gotten a raise for that. You, you you'd be the you'd be on every talk show in America. You make it hired by yeah. a. But I, I don't yeah, know. Not, not
3: in the newspaper business, but yeah, if, if yeah, I probably would have become a, a, a meme or it would have gone viral a little bit for sure. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm sure if you catch up with that cameraman that uh Rodman kicked in the nuts, he's wishing it didn't happen. <laughs> Kicking the stones from a six foot 10 guy is something that you don't walk away, although Jim Rome had kind of made his, his career right, when the, the, the Jim, uh when Jim, Ever- Jim Everett reached across the table and right. And slapped him. Closest I ever came. But
3: but Eli, real quick. I think it was Everett's
1: last completion, too.
3: (laughs) I don't know about you, but if you're fair, I mean, athletes might not like it. Coaches handle it much better, right? They're just because they tend to be older and they understand it's part of the job. But for the most part, if you're fair, um, they're fine. They're fine. They really are.
2: What happened to you is I think you caught him in in a bad mood in a bad way. Uh, there was pr- probably some extenuating circumstances In a different situation, it may not have bothered him that much. When the Lions uh, got, they traded for, got a free agent named Pat Swilling. Oh God. Know, Twenty years ago, thirty years took ago, took Joe Schmidt's number Orleans. out From of Orleans, retirement right? for took, Swilling. Joe, Joe gave him his number, and he and he didn't perform well when he was here. It was terrible. And after about a year, I one night I said on Channel Two, and back then, don't forget, everybody watched absolutely keep, keep yeah, that, was, that was where then. you're going to see the highlights and I said something like Swilling has clearly lost a step and I had been talking to Michael Harrah who was the, the beat writer and we had discussed that during the day and he mentioned we all agreed he lost a step well Swilling didn't take well to that and, and he confronted me in the Lions locker room of course I was scared but in retrospect I thought if he'd taken a swing at me it would have been great well, plus but somebody he lost stepped a step
1: in. so you got a better chance of getting
2: away he started yelling at me and I think Lomas Brown and a couple of other guys stepped in but that's the closest I've, I've come
3: yeah. What was you, know, you saying? Do you remember?
2: Just how unfair it was. And who are you to say that I've lost a step? How do you know? Stuff like that. Just kind of yelling at me like like I was wrong to say it, even though we all know that it was true. And, and I've told this story before. When, when Mike Tyson came here to fight Andrew Galata at the palace, I don't know. I think let's see 1997 how long ago was that 1920 oh 26 God. years ago so. I was doing the show with Gibby and Gary and we got Tyson in the studio at Channel oh, 4 doing the locker room show and at one point I was disputing something he said or not, not not just talking to him and I reached, he was next to me and I I just touched his shoulder and he looked at he looked at me like your fucking hand is on my shoulder. I'm going to kill you. And I looked over, and Kirk and Gary had me do the interview by myself, and they're like, "God, they're freaking out." <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, God, if, if Tyson takes a swing at me, I'm made, man. It's it's going to be the gra- <laughs> if, if, if I survive it, everybody in America is going to know who I am. But anyway,
1: they'll know who you are, but I don't know that the judgment would be collectible because Mike had some problem with his finances. So if he owes you a million dollars, you may never get it. But Sean, Sean you're right.
2: If you're fair. And you and you say it in a in a professional way without making it personal. Then athletes, because listen, they're self-effacing. One way you get to the major leagues is because you're willing to not only face obstacles, but uh, but withstand the scrutiny. There's scrutiny every day. You're out there in front of people. You're on live television, and you make mistakes. It's there. And this, to see young guys in their early twenties own up in the locker room, say, "I got to get better. It's my mistake. No excuse." You got to give them a lot of credit because they got to come back from that, and to maintain your self belief in a in a brutal business like that is, is is hard. So athletes are willing to admit their mistakes. That's how you get better in life. It's well, just I, don't take a cheap. I shot. wonder
1: if Swilling was more hurt that uh, he was thinking the same thing. Of course, you of course. know it's like yeah. you you touched a nerve. So I haven't covered a lot of sports, but I did have one brush with Joe Necro at uh, Fenway Park because I was working in New Hampshire. And one of the things, you know, I love sports, so I wanted to see if I could do a game from the press box in Fenway Park. And the Silver Bullets were playing, and they were a women's baseball team sponsored by Coors. And I had to find an angle to get me to Boston. I'm in New Hampshire, so I'm only uh, an hour up I-93. And one of the players on the Silver Bullets was from New Hampshire. So I pitched the story. I'm gonna go talk to this woman from New Hampshire who's playing with the Silver Bullets, basically just cover the game from the press box. It was an excuse to cover the game. It was great. Get down on the field afterwards. I'm talking to Joe Necro and he's a little he's the coach of the uh, the Silver Bullets along with the along with Phil Necro. And I think Joe played for the Tigers for a little sure bit. Did. So, you know, these are baseball legends, hard bitten guys, down down home guys. And He's listening to me ask questions, but he's kind of distracted. And all of a sudden, he turns to me and says, "What would you say? And he looked really pissed off. And he's not a small guy. And I thought, I said, excuse me. He said, what do you say? And I said, well, it, it looks like they just couldn't, you know, hit their pitches. And he said, oh, I thought you said they played like bitches. Ah! And I said, no, no. I said, they just weren't hitting their pitches. He said, no, that's that's right. That's right. So it can be. Very intimidating one-on-one with someone who has some physical prowess and a little bit of menace in them. But uh, my solution for that, covering politics and, and government, is where I have to write a lot of critical things, most of, most of which are, well, all of which are fact-based, but, but uh, the facts aren't seen that way by the subject, is to go as soon as you can to see them. Yeah. Next event they do, next press conference, next time they're out and about. Show your face is to be there right away and say, I stand behind my words and I think you do get a measure of respect for doing that. And when I listen to a lot of you know, the know-nothing radio guys where the whole the whole network is built on people calling in from Allen Park the or wherever. The difference is they don't have they to face never the music. Go there. That's right. And, they, and
2: I'll, I'll give Mike Valeni, who's number one in this town, credit. He says, I'm not a journalist, and he's not there in the locker room. But one thing I want to go back to, because Sean is resting up for his big season.
1: Right. He pulled a hammy early. Is, he's, in fact, he may is, be cramping up. Is,
2: at, at my stage in sports, and I was this, I've been this for a long time when I became a reporter, I look at the Lions, because they weren't the team that I grew up with, as a sociological experiment. Ugh. It's an experiment in loyalty, an experiment in patriotism, experiment in, 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 in the way people react, How the, the spectrum from those who believe they're going to be 16 and over 70 you know, every year and those that, 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 that are still fans but they think they're awful they criticize them all the time. It's how will the people react. How are they dealing with this? What's going on in their minds? Because in reality, and I'm sure Sean will agree, sports is essentially meaningless. It's just entertainment. It's important to the players and the coaches and the Joe Necros and all them. But to us, it's it's just an illusion of importance. It doesn't put food on our table. It doesn't help our kids get better grades in school. It doesn't pay the rent. It doesn't make us better, uh, get along with our boss better. It's an escape. And 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 I just look at and it's fascinating how Lion fans are so deeply engaged. It's got a lot to do with Detroit and the you know the, the, you know the, the Midwest uh, inferiority complex and all that. But but uh, uh, you know so as, as you have to as a reporter and I'm Sean. It feels this way. You're somewhat engaged, but you're looking for the story. What matters to Sean is the story, not what actually happens on the field and 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 as a fan. And that's what that's what you could explain is. How you're a, you started this as a fan, but if you act like a fan as a reporter, you're not going to do a very good job.
3: No, although in our our business, it's interesting because there are a lot of sites. Shoot, there are a lot of. I mean, Bill Simmons is probably the the, the most famous example of somebody who made a name for himself writing as a Boston fan. Right? right? He right. he didn't he did not hide it. He put it out there, and it was relatable to lots of folks. And he parlayed those those uh, Boston area blogs he was doing 20 years ago into a a national platform and his own website and documentary series and all that. So it's, I think about the American tradition of journalism relatively, I mean, I don't know, it goes back 100, what, 120 years of, of the idea of objectivity when in Europe newspapers have never really been that way, at least politically. They want facts when it comes to news stories and so forth. But they you have papers over there that are aligned with one political party or another it's it's kind of always been that way we had a brief period of time here but that's kind of how i think about i mean that so that carried over into sports in this country and i don't know that sports are covered in the same way we covered in other parts of the world where there's so much more um, there's so much more out front about who they who they that they're rooting for you know we're talking earlier about the local sports sportscasters that to me that's how sports coverage is in a lot of parts. In a lot of the rest of parts of the world. So, so when you say I care about the story, there's an implication. I'm not saying you are saying this, Eli, but to some, there's an implication that means you don't care about the players or the outcome. No, 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 or no. anything. Or and I know you're not saying that, no, but I no, hear no, no, that no. for people.
2: There's always going to be players that that you like and you want to see do well. No,
3: for sure. But I hear that from readers sometimes that 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 we're some we're somehow trying to pretend. That we don't care what, in fact, we we do. It may not be their team, but uh and so so threading that is always an interesting uh, proposition.
2: Well, because because you're a professional, and so I would always feel you know I root for the story sometimes, and I would and 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 not only that you you, root, you know you're on a deadline, you're rooting for it to end even if the other team wins, so you can get your story in on time. And I root being, for and, business, right?
3: Right, Right? that's what I root for. What's good for business? What's good for the free press? Right, it's great for if the Lions win this year. You know, not not giving too much away. I mean, this isn't a secret by any means. But our numbers and our coverage the last few weeks in the training, the Lions' training camp, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's incredible. Right, Right. and so why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, I mean, if the Pistons show any promise at all this winter, if the Wings get a little bit better with the signing of. Um, some of the moves they've made. It's good for everybody. That's yeah. what I root for. If, if a team tanks and there's struggle, there's interest in that too. So that's also good, but eventually people tune out, but right. You got to have some kind of change at some point.
2: Well, yeah. And, and uh, people love a winner, but the lions are compelling whether they win or lose. And so I, I, but, but my my point is I root, I root for the best story because That'll get the most people to watch. It gives me a chance to pontificate and give my opinion. And I always felt, and this is what Al Ackerman, who was kind of my mentor, uh, uh, taught me, was put a little of yourself into every story. Don't just tell what it is because people want to know what Eli thinks or what Sean thinks or what ML thinks when when you're writing a story. So there's a lot that, that goes into it. But it's far more than being than being a fan, and I don't think a, a fan can really understand the elements that enter into our heads when we're covering stories and writing stories and, and rooting or, or not rooting for a particular result.
3: Well, they, and one last thing. They also, there are misconceptions, too. They think if you're too overly critical, you're going to somehow lose your access. Right? I hear that a lot. Yeah. So there there's some ideas about that fans have about the relationship <laughs> that we have with the athletes, the coaches, the front offices, the the teams, you know, the athletic directors at the university level of the, of these folks that that we cover. So, but I'm with you. I I root for a story, but I will say Eli too. One thing that's changed over the years is, especially as as a columnist, a lot of fans don't just want old school hot takes. I mean, I know that sells well, and at the national TV level, to some degree, Stephen A. Smith, that kind of thing. But fans are so much more sophisticated Skip now. They study, that the, dude's made they a study out of these. They study these Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. In fact, a great topic we should do. And I got to go now. This whole betting thing is just so. Pre- ESPN now it's its own betting site. You know, <laughs> I tell you, I tell people I broke the law ten thousand times smoking marijuana when it was illegal, and to think you can smoke weed and gamble on a game. And, and everywhere you go, you drive down the highway, driving from Chicago, food, gas,
1: weed. Oh, yeah. Watch sports, beer, cars, betting, betting. Well, I, I wonder what's going to oh. happen to those ESPN sideline reporters. Our teams going to say, now, what you saw— are you now feeding that back to the odds makers? I mean, when we had our meeting, our one-on-one before the big game, are you telling somebody, "Oh, so and so looked a little sore"? Or we're not <laughs> sure, because that when you put your brand on that, and your brand is a journalism brand, and you're now in money making. I mean, I wish journalism was still money making, but when you're bringing it into where information is 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 solid gold. I wonder if they're going to start to restrict access there, and where where the networks or the the leagues say you have to talk to a sideline reporter about an injury, you can't blow them off. If they're going to start to say, hmm, well, do they call into the producer and yeah. say, so and so's hurt, and they automatically change the odds, and then they report that so and so's, and then I on think- your phone. You bet 500 on the game. So See, anyway. Eli's getting younger as, as we go <laughs> along. He's already on his phone.
2: Very uh, good conversation.
1: Guys, so, I got to hey, go. Hey, thanks, Eli. Always, always great split, to have right,
2: you here. Have me back
1: anytime. And, I love it. Well, we'll try and get for you. Thanks, Eli. Right you seem like a good enough guy. <laughs> so, uh, Eli and everybody here on this show is brought to you by Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. There are many difficult things in life, including backing up a camper, fighting with Hawk, reading sentences that use semicolons, and preparing to be financially secure in retirement. You might even be able to rely on a cool side gig like being director of merchandising to help out. Now, if you listen to the DMP show, the Drew and Mike podcast, you know exactly what they're talking about. Well, Luke supports all the shows on the network, and we appreciate them. And if you want to find out if you're on target to meet your goals and how he can support you and your family, you can call Luke Nowacki at 248 663 48. Securities and investment advisory services often through
0: Bonaic Wells. Sync member F-I-N R A S I P C Bonaic Wells. Sync is separately owned and other entities and/or marketing names, Products or services referenced here are independent Bonaic Wells.
1: And we also have to thank the Bricklayers for making this show possible. And really, we're talking about your future, your security, and how you can get through life and have something waiting for you at the end. Well the bricklayers and allied craft workers can help you out. They're with Local 2 Michigan and are looking for hardworking men and women all throughout the state of Michigan. Whether you have experience in any of the trowel trades or not, there is an option for you. If you have no prior experience, there are free training opportunities with job placements starting at $26, 16 an hour, plus benefits, and earn while you learn as a registered apprentice. Experienced tradesmen and women in building new or restoring old masonry, installing tile, marble or terrazzo, caulking or finishing concrete make anywhere between 2616 and 3720 plus benefits like blue cross blue shield health insurance two pensions and an annuity year-round free training workshops and certifications with the possibility of more referral and signing bonuses of two thousand dollars for journeyman and one thousand dollars for experienced apprentices Visit BrickLayers.org, that's bricklayer org to learn more about what Local 2 has to offer or take the next step in building your future today. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a
0: dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys?
1: My geek of the week was going to be the Baltimore Orioles for suspending one of their broadcasters, for basically doing his job, communicating information to the fans. But I'm going to change it up, and I'm going to bring it back to the Big Ten. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Jim Harbaugh and, and the Big Ten uh, with Eli while he was here, but we got off into some, some really interesting areas, including some of those statistics he had about why people feel so alone. It's uh it's kind of it's kind of sad. But you know who's feeling lonelier than anybody right now? The four teams left from the Pac-Twelve who don't have a home anymore and really don't have any friends. And Sean was writing about this last week and, and basically and Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, took the approach of, oh, I know we all think this is apocalyptic, the end of days and everything like, but it's a business. This is what happens, just get over it. At some point, you're not going to care anymore. It's just going to be the way it is. Is is that a fair characterization?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, when Texas A and M all of a sudden was in the same conference as you know Florida Gainesville, the College Station is you know halfway across the country. So you know, we we didn't say much about that. Uh, my, my my point is conferences have been expanded since they've started. It's kind of like the universe. It's it's just it's just the way things are, and you know rivalries will stick around. And I just I just. What I like is that it's, uh, we're not trying to pretend anymore. We're not trying to hide anymore. We have a much better understanding. We accept what college football and basketball are at or about at their fundamental level. And we don't want to sit there and try to lay some idea of purity and innocence or romanticism onto something that where it never should have been in the first place. So I think it's a lot more real right now. And I think that's a good thing. And it's not going to kill the marching band. That's still going to be part of college football
1: well nobody's going to kill the guy in the cal marching band cuz no or if they do then nobody's going to see it cuz they're not going to be on TV that that's this is where you and I and Mark disagree vehemently on most things involving college athletics but you say it's it's acknowledging reality i say it's destroying tradition i think it has some real real world implications for some of these non-revenue sports where people are going to say hey you know women's hockey we can't send them out to Stanford. And by the way, UCLA and USC don't have a women's hockey team, and and we don't have a crew team, and we don't do this, and we don't do that. I I think this is a horrible thing that's happening. I think tradition does matter in college football. I think geographic uh, alliances are meaningful and not just emotionally, but financially. And I think that what's happening with these conferences right now and what's happening with college football, where all we're doing is chasing money. Cause that's really all this is about this. No, is it's not. About it's chasing not. All money. Due,
3: all due respect. It's really not chasing money. They're chasing viewers. That's, well, that's what they're money. chasing. Eyeballs. No, they're chasing viewers If they don't have viewers then they don't have a sport. I mean, not, not college football and basketball as we know it. The reason they're doing this is because the net would be ratings are down a little bit, right? They're chasing. They want to put games out there that people will watch. Now you can say ultimately this is about money, but no the the the, the issue is fans in the seats and viewership, and those have been and those are all sports are fighting for them. The NFL maybe is the only league everybody else is declining that's really it's just survival it's not greed they're not stockholders here that are trying to increase the profit margin and i'm speaking of all those other sports yes it uh, is at the the big universities they're funded largely by football and basketball programs so all those other athletes who come get scholarship money in part at a lot of these schools because of the kids playing football and basketball until How has they, that start, ever been until that they ever start been fair. Until they start dropping
1: those sports because of the travel costs. And and you know, the money that comes into these are not you say they're self-funded, but th- this is a snake eating its tail. They bring in more money, so they build bigger facilities for the players. They
3: they do and more they fund to a co- lacrosse, right? They help fund lacrosse. I mean, that's just how it goes. The Olympic sports have been funded by basketball and football for a long time. It's some not not all the schools. So you have schools like Eastern Michigan, Mike. You know this, where they pull money out of the general fund so they can play football. How fair is that? By the way. As a society, is that what we really want, or do we want to go out and say, "Okay, this kid's busting their butt in chemistry at a school where there's no money. Why don't we give them a scholarship?" Well, I if mean, that was po- fair,
1: then the big, the Power Five schools that are bringing in more money than they need would then subsidize the academic institutions, and that doesn't happen. No, People it doesn't happen sports. at all. They
3: subsidize the other sports. It's a that's it. That's how it works. So you, you you say
1: this is all for the best. The expansion of the Big Ten brought us the annual, which everybody loves. So I maybe I'm picking the wrong example here, but brings us the annual Maryland Rutgers game. You know, I mean. Come on. No,
3: not rockers Ruc- on. Not only that, Rutgers is losing money. It's been a disaster since they got in. Right. Right. but What I'm I mean, saying but, but, is, expanding
1: but, these conferences doesn't always increase viewership. Doesn't always increase value. Doesn't always increase quality. They were brought in strictly to try and tap into the New York and the Washington media market.
3: Television, television market. Yep, that's yes. it. That's and that's my point. It's it's they're they're looking for viewers. The networks that make because these deals with these the conferences. They, they, no. They it's they, it's survival first. You want customers, yeah, because you want to survive with the money. But you also, if you don't have customers, then you don't have a product. You don't have a business.
1: No. College, no, no,
3: fo- no. college football's got to have people watching it, and that's what the networks are trying to do. That it's not greed, greed for the sake of greed. It's can we figure out what games to put on so people to keep watching? No,
1: it's absolutely they- greed. So they can pay the coaches more. So they can be be, be build bigger. Better. That's where I get with all the bees. The coaches' money, bigger, better facilities to attract better recruits, and the recruits want to make more money by going to the program that's going to get them on TV. That's going to get them because you want to win. They
3: want recruits because they want to win. The coaches. It's let's just let's just. This is much we can probably agree on. There's no other place in the world that attaches this level of sport to learning. to to campuses, to places. If you just want to have club sports at the university level, that'd probably be a lot healthier overall. But football and basketball have turned into basically professional feeder leagues for our big professional feeder leagues, right? Like in soccer in Europe, you know this. You love Europe. You love a lot of things work over there. If you are a prodigy, if you show skill at something 14, like, say, Messi did, you move around the world, and you go over there, and you study, and you're in a – I mean, that's, you're in an academy.
1: What, yeah. Try eight. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, right? no, that's what we talent. do.
3: We do. We do that for music. We do that for lots of other disciplines in, in this country, but for whatever reason we don't do it with sport where a lot of other cultures do do that with sport. And to me, that's just more, I think that's a healthier thing rather than having this, this ruse about what college football and basketball to a lesser degree are supposed to mean. It's this I, American romanticism and, uh, It's not American
1: romanticism. This is the way some of us feel about our college sports. We cheer for that team because we went there, not because we have the biggest budget and can pay our athletes the most and can get on TV all the time. There are people who go to football games at Adrian, who go to football games at Alma. Because it's part of their experience as a college kid. And I know that they're not going to compete with a Power Five conference. But this whole rolling over and just saying it's all a business, all the money, that's the problem. And that's not a lesson we should be teaching people. That's not what college is there to teach people. Who do you think
3: supports this? I mean, Michigan State, maybe it's a little bit different. But you go to a Michigan football game, what's the percentage of people in the stands that didn't go to the school? And certainly the viewership of that game. And that's true. I mean, I lived in Alabama, I worked in a newspaper down in Alabama. It was, it was true there too. Majority of the fans, the people that support these programs are not alums. The college football, as we know it, would not survive with just alums. It wouldn't. I know, what it up was, a stadium, doing, it was
1: doing pretty well before all these conferences started combining and chasing all the money. And that's a disaster. It's going to end up being a complete and utter disaster. And so You guys who are chasing the dollars, who are stripping these conferences down, who are turning college football into a minor league—Sean doesn't agree, but you're still my geek of the week.
3: And you're the geek of the week for thinking it's been a a not hadn't been a minor league for the last forty years. But go ahead, hurtful, very hurtful.
0: hurtful. Again.
1: Welcome to Room Seven, Six or Nine, where we kind of take you through an exploration of new wave music, introduce you to bands you never heard of, and play some music by bands that you love that never, never quite got this single on your Walkman. But we're gonna we're gonna change things up a little bit this week. We're going to take a look at Britpop, which is kind of the, the uh, period right after New Wave because Britpop is making a resurgence. Blur is back on the road. A lot of these bands that you know and love are reconstituting and playing again and tapping into that audience. And this, this experience, this exploration of music is brought to you by the Kadju Cafe, where there's always great music playing. There's always great stuff going on in the kitchen. By the way, there... Kitchens open and all just about any place, later than any place on the east side, 2 to 10 on Sunday, 4 to midnight Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. on Saturday. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. That's, that's uh, 4 a.m. 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. on Saturday. But here's what I want to tell you about what's going on there this week musically. Karaoke on Wednesday. Billy Brandt and the Sugar One Ton Trolley, Brothers from Another Planet are playing on Thursday. Friday, it's Revival, Music of the Almond Brothers with Slim Gamble from Lady A playing as well. Artificial Agent Animal Rock and Roll Prep School will be there on Saturday. Sunday's Ryan Gimpert and Friend. I guess if you're friends with the Gimp, that's that's good. You got to wake him up. Monday, Evan Perry and Friends Open Blues Jam and Muscle Madness, All You Can Eat Muscles. On Monday. That's all at the Cadu Cafe. For more, check out caducafe.com. That's caducafe.com. Full menu available until midnight, until 10 p.m. on Monday through Saturday. Um, actually, check the website, folks. Make sure. I'm I'm a little distracted here. I'm I'm lost. I ha- I hate to admit it, but I'm lost without Mark and Sean. Sean just keeps me hanging on the telephone as as Blondie might have said. But no more Blondie, no more New Wave this week. We're going to get into a little bit of Blur with Girls and Boys. So that's Blur from the 1990s with girls who love boys, girls and boys who love boys who love girls. Can you, Could you keep up with all that, Sean?
3: I couldn't hear any of it, but I'm sure it was lovely. Oh, do you know Blur, girls and boys at all? I know Blur a little bit, not much, a couple, couple of songs.
1: So folks probably know them from... The stadium song two, which is their big, you know, woo yeah. So yeah. that's been played to death. You do know Damon Albarn, who is the lead singer for Blur, if you've been keeping up with modern music, because he's the brains and the basically the whole operation that is the gorillas. But Girls and Boys is really ahead of its time. They talk about love in the 90s as paranoid, but here's some of the lyrics. Girls who are boys, who like boys to be girls, who do boys like their girls, who do girls like their boys, always should be someone you really love. And with all the gender identity issues we're seeing these days with all the trans kids and people who are coming out and changing and everything like that, Blur was really ahead of their time. Damon Albarn, bit of a visionary And he's part of a movement known as Britpop, which came after New Wave. It is making a resurgence. These are bands that you may recognize, like Blur, Pulp, Suede, Elastica, Echo Belly. And if those names don't ring a bell, certainly you've heard of Oasis before. The Gallagher brothers, when they were still talking, were big drivers of the Britpop movement, which kind of faded away. It was very English. A lot of the things they reference are something that you would experience if you were part of Britain in the late 80s early 90s in this in this particular tune they talk about going to Greece and then running into German tourists and things like that that's a very English type of thing but Britpop was this sort of light uh... uh, happy uh... very you know in some ways it could be sarcastic it had a very English feel to it, and it took over the world in a way that English bands just haven't done in a long time, but Britpop is making a resurgence, so as summer is slipping away, we're going to catch some of this Britpop summer wave that's crossing the world, because Blur is touring again, even here in the States, and we're going to play some more Britpop for you for the next several weeks on in Room 7609. After that, I'd like to challenge everybody to try and send in their favorite New Wave song that was in a movie, preferably, like, the theme of the movie. Uh, One of the most obvious ones that comes to mind is To Live and Die in L.A. by Wang Chung, which was the uh, title song for To Live and Die in L.A., a great William Friedkin movie. So that's a challenge to the audience. Try and come up with some of your favorite New Wave movie themes. But we'll spend the next couple weeks diving into... The early 90s, uh, so a little bit of a departure from New Wave, which I think we're, we're moving.
3: We're love. moving. We're progressing. We, we got. I, I was just about to say we're getting into the 90s, maybe even in the early aughts. I'm I, proud of you.
1: I thought you might you might appreciate you. That, that evolution. So if Sean's happy yeah. with the d- destruction of college sports, then then everything is well with the world. So that's yeah, really they're
3: not, they're not going anywhere. There are too many people that want to keep watching them.
1: Well, then that's the problem is it's all about trying to get more people to watch so they can get more money which won't go really into the university it'll go into this no, this no, no. Barnacle we, we, on we, the no and we, we shouldn't worry
3: about universes. readers either by the way we need to have a show because we don't have time here you you need you have things to do i got to get my car to the shop and all that but uh we need to do a show about this idea of people whether people have friends anymore or not and the, and the loneliness and whether this is new i don't think it is i think it's just uh i think that, anyway we need we need to take some time to to delve into some of those numbers we heard at the top of this show
1: uh I think that sounds like a lighthearted fun summer uh, event so yeah let's uh let's let's dive into the pit of despair, but no, it's something we should talk about i mean
3: it's,
1: you know I mean, wow I'm glad uh. I'm glad that you're in charge of idea generation, Sean. Uh, next up. Um, <laughs> oh
3: no! For, for forgive me for throwing something out there. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. No, uh, no,
1: no. I like it. You, you're keeping it. You're keeping it lively. Uh, we will do that right after we do our show on uh, on fatal diseases that strike children. That's coming up in a future episode of ML Soul of Detroit. So um, no, we'll just talk I...
3: about uh, how long you and I've been pals and that kind of thing. No, no, there, there there's some good fun stuff to mine out there. You know.
1: Brought to you by juvenile diabetes and, uh, and prenatal cancer. That's uh, in a future episode. So, yeah, we, we will put that on the agenda. Um, first, we have to thank our donors. And we have had some very kind donors over the last couple of weeks. Vince and Michael, we want to thank you for, for supporting the show. You can send your suggestions for Room 7609 to mlsouledetroit at gmail.com. And if you want to make a donation to the show, you can do so at mlsouledetroit.com dot com. That's MLSolveDetroit.com. There's a donate button there. When you donate, you have the option to give by PayPal or to give by Venmo. When you give by Venmo, it'll come up and say Daisy House LLC. That's a weird thing with Venmo we're trying to work out, but I trust you that, trust me, I assure you that money will reach us and we could use it because we have lost uh, our flagship sponsor and Hall Financial. So we're hoping that, uh, that you can help pick up the slack so that we can afford to send limos to go pick up big stars like Eli Zaret to join us from time to time and share some of his insights into media and sports. And he's someone, you know, unlike and you and I, Don't show loneliness. And loneliness. Well, and loneliness. He, he does know about loneliness, which is odd because he's a very, he's a very avuncular gentleman. But there is, there is um, something that he talks about that I, I can't hear enough of. And that's being on both sides of it because you and I have been in the media for a long time. I was out of it briefly as a candidate for a city council, but I never was really part of the political scene. We kind of did it our own way. Didn't turn out to be terribly successful. But Eli has covered the team unflinchingly and then worked for the team. And I just love hearing him talk about how you, how you, you know, you straddle that line. You know, you. You don't, you don't. Maybe put the vinegar in. Uh, you put a little sugar in, but you still tell people what it is that you you see. So, uh, so I thought that was great to have Eli here. Although, of course, we miss Mark. We hope he'll be back soon. Um, that's all. It's all up to the judge. But I probably shouldn't say any more about that. We uh, we will be uh, starting a uh, defense fund soon for free. Mark Fellhauer. But first, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to those of you who have been kind enough to tell us what's on your mind. And so it's time for our feedback segment. Which Oh, people... I thought it
3: was time for Cyrus. I, I was totally confused. I'm sorry.
1: You don't care about this audience, do you? You're no, just... I, to- really?
3: I totally do. I totally do.
1: It's, it's, it, it continues to confound me how much they love you. But we heard from Todd, who says, have to disrespectfully agree or have to respectfully disagree. <laughs>
3: Oh, I Sorry. like that. I like the reverse of that.
1: Yeah, I, I'll just tell you, that I'm in the power chair, and the responsibility of the power chair, I think, is is starting to uh, starting to fry my synapses. But he says, Todd says, have to respectfully disagree with your take on the primitives. Crash is one of the greatest pop songs ever. So uh, okay, so that's what we that's what we hear from from Todd. Speaking of new wave and Brit pop and great music, most of it comes from Manchester there's no debate about that and Vince writes to us from Manchester greetings from Greater Manchester ML Mark and Sean I felt it was high time to cough up a few bucks for the show having freeloaded since the start please watch for my donation from PayPal as I don't have the nerve to try Venmo I hope this modest amount helps contribute to the fantastic work you all do and a continuation of the many hours of entertainment you've brought me over the years we did receive it Vince it did come through and we do appreciate it your show has the right blend of banter, erudite discourse, humor, music, and non-sequiturs, thanks to Sean. I look forward to each week and as a regular companion to me on my long hikes in the hills surrounding my adopted home just south of Manchester proper. I have been resident of the UK for 28 years, having been born and raised in southeast Michigan, and your program has kept me in touch with my birthplace and has kept the homesickness at bay by now having a closer connection back home with the wonder of the interweb and Vince spells program P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. So I don't know if that's he's got autocorrect on English or if he's just that integrated. As most things are all about ML, I'd be remiss not to mention a coincidence I have with him. Several years ago, a couple, Maria and Tony Coughlin, who lived down the road to me, gave me a copy of the Kwame Sutra. Actually may have loaned it to me, but I never gave it back. At the time, having been away from Detroit for so long, I didn't really have much of a clue about what was going on, but loved it. They've moved away, and I've lost contact with them, but was delighted to hear when you were over here for your visit that you got to meet up with them. I gather you did, as you mentioned, Tony, when you were talking about the power companies do work over here, which he's an engineer for. Anyway, I'm blathering now. Just wanted to thank you all for the amazing work you do and the hours of entertainment you've given me. I will be in Detroit on the 11th August visiting family for a few weeks, and will try to get over to the you and maybe bump into you. Alternately... If any of you chaps are over in the northwest of England, I'd be pleased to meet up and give you a tour of the pubs of Manchester and Liverpool or a hike in the hills and fells of the Peak District. All the best, gentlemen, and keep up the stellar work. Vince, Vince send us an email at mlsolvedetroit at gmail.com, and and we can make that meeting at the CADU happen, absolutely.
3: That's a nice note, Mike, and don't you love, by the way, the use of the word district over here? Over there, here we mean it. You know, it's a district in an urban area in a city. It's a you know the famously the red light district. I guess that's Amsterdam. But I'm talking about I'm talking about in England. A district is a large sort of a rural area, right? Or even with several towns in a larger area.
1: Yeah, the the Lakes District, beautiful. Yeah. The Peak yeah. District. Yeah. Well, and in Dis- district Detroit is kind of a beautiful empty area because the Ilitch's yeah. once again have delayed the project they said they were going to do after years of delays, so I'm glad nothing's changed there.
3: Do you think it's because they don't put an E on the end of program? If their program for development had an E on the end of it, do you think it would make a difference?
1: I think it's because when they have a program with ME at the end, it's because it's all about me, me being the Illiches, and what they want to do and how we should help them, and when they don't do what they're going to do, when we ask them for an explanation, no, we don't get it. We don't get it. And they're back to doing that. They're back to taking our money and not giving us any explanation. Wow. Who did not see that coming? Apparently, the Detroit City Council, which voted 8-1 to one to approve it, at least Mary Sheffield, the city council president, dug her heels in and said, I don't think we're going to go along this way again. But along this way again, they did go. What
3: Speak, Speaking show? of the note, or reference to the note, by the way, we haven't had a non-sequitur today, so here's one. I'm looking at your name on the screen. If we take the L out of ML and then shove that M up against Delric, we have Melrick. And I think, I think that's your new name. I love it. I'm gonna. Can I, I may I start calling you Melrick? I, I think, love that.
1: I think you will, whether I give you uh, permission or not. Um, David touches on something that I'd hope to talk a little bit more about uh, the Harbaugh situation. Uh, He says, I sincerely respect ML and his ability to view many issues without bias, except when it comes (laughs) to MSU football. (laughs) And I am wearing my Spartan T-shirt today, as you can see. Sorry, you're too close to it, ML, and cannot look at MSU football, the tunnel incident and fan behavior which Mark had experienced firsthand and was completely disregarded objectively. Explaining away or shifting blame on any criticism is the telltale sign. It's very sophomoric. And Mike Hart comments are very old at this point. It's time to move on, Dave. Um, Yeah, uh, whatever, Dave. Here's the deal. You got an institution that says it follows the rules, expects everybody else to be held to the letter of the law, doesn't follow the rules, doesn't hold itself to the letter of the law, and is continuing to flout the laws. Jim Harbaugh is a disgrace, this is a university and a program where they run the university. This is a place where anybody like flicks a booger on them and they act like somebody dropped an i beam on their head from great heights. Oh my God! Somebody touched me. Oh, oh! I've been clotheslined while I'm walking across the field at Spartan Stadium, even though they're doing what they do every week. Oh my God! Oh my God! Two jackasses run their mouth, and ninety guys give them a hard time. Let me tell okay. you something. Oh, okay. Let me t- now, you're, Sean. You're hold, the on. By yourself, hold on I a second tell. here. If ninety guys wanted <laughs> to smear is. those guys against the wall, they'd be dead right now. So let's oh stop pretending God. that this was the crime of the century. But. If it is the crime of the century and we're going to say we want justice right away, let's expect justice to be brought right away for ourselves because those who don't walk the walk are full of shit. And you can say I'm too close to it, but I think there's a lot of people who have nothing to do with this who will tell you Jim Harbaugh and all the yang coming out of the University of Michigan Athletic Department, it's a bunch of hypocrisy and you don't have to wear green and white to see that. And now he's going to get off the hook on this transgression because he's lied and he's not going to be suspended. And when the suspension kicks in, he's going to ride off into the sunset to some NFL team. And you guys say you want justice in Ann Arbor? Yeah. Uh, Nice. Ain't no justice coming there. You're not interested in it. You're only interested in yourselves and your own ambitions. Congratulations. Leaders and best? you got to be kidding me.
3: Oh, my God. listener! I am so sorry that I'm not there, that Mark's not there, because it, it, it look, I, I know you can hear me and it's fine that I'm on the Zoom. But if we were there, we could control this bullshit a little bit. Yes, there's some hypocrisy over there, but oh, I don't I don't even want to start. And we're at the end of the show, so I'm not going to. But yeah, uh, why don't
1: you start by go, turning college football into a business? Why don't you
3: do come that? On. Well, no, why don't you start by pretending it hasn't been? Talk about hypocrisy. Okay, Dad, that, that, that's enough. I, I, you know what? I'm on vacation. I don't want to get worked up. I love you to death. You're my pal, my longtime bud. We've we've uh, known each other for a couple of decades, and uh, hopefully a couple of more. I figure I maybe got more ten. More, if I'm lucky, I'll get ten more years on earth. On this earth, that'd be good. So maybe I don't want to get too greedy that way. But uh, yeah. Well, can, sorry, I'm not there with you.
1: Yeah. Congratulations on adopting the lay back and enjoy it uh, uh, philosophy. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to fight. No,
3: congratulations that. on conflating that with uh, lay back and enjoy it. It's just expansion, man. Do you want people to watch your sport or not? Do you want to have a sport to watch or don't you?
1: College football is not going to go away if these conferences don't uh Congeal into two mega conferences. The
3: reason we have college football the way in the way that we have it is because of television right now. And if we don't have television, right, if networks aren't going to bro- I mean, that's you know this. You 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 you're normally not this naive. You understand this?
1: No, I know you I, do. Somewhere in that big old
3: brain of yours, you understand this.
1: I understand they're chasing a dollar, and I don't think that's right. I think college sports can exist. Without combining into Godzilla and Mothra, but uh, but that's what you want, so that's okay. You, that, you've no, had- it's
3: not. It doesn't. It just doesn't matter that much. I mean, I mean Ohio State, and Michigan are still going to play each other, right? I mean, what's it really going to change? It's not going to change that much. A little bit longer, more time in the. I don't know. The whole thing is, and you're talking about geography earlier. College football, the way college football. Think about this for college football. You love college football so much. The teams that wins the championship comes back the next year with the best players, the best new young. The, the best. Can you imagine the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl and they're the number one pick in the trap next year? If we ran our pro sports or any other kind of sport like we run college football, it's ridiculous. So geography, we, oh, we love geography. You know what? The best players are congregated because of cultural reasons and weather reasons and all sorts of other reasons in certain parts of the country. And the schools that have they have built in advantages, none of it's ever been fair, ever. The, the 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 idea of sport and the way we like to compete, and the, if you have a, a down year, then you get a, a chance, you get the the, the the best player the next year, and that kind of thing. We don't do that. We just Ohio State, Clemson, whatever. Not maybe not Clemson, right? Now, Georgia, Georgia plays Clemson. Alabama's up there. It's always the same. Is that what you really like? That's why you love college football, dude. It's a sham. Here's, here's what bothers me. I
1: don't think I know anybody who cares more about other people than you. I don't think I know anybody who wants things to be more fair than you. And when it comes to college sports, you're like, it ain't fair. Just deal with it. Get over it. That's a corrupting influence. That's what bothers me. If they can get to Sean Windsor, they can get to
3: anybody. We need to get rid of it. I mean, how about that for radicals? Well, let and, me and and have all the other sports that you love. I think it's great. Just be club sports. You know what I mean.
1: Uh, Mark how, my how words, that? Sean. In in five or ten years, barring some legislation, the number of non-revenue sports that exist in these conferences will be down.
3: They will, yeah, they, they will should just... and they should be club sports. And if you're at Michigan and you want to row, you should row against Wayne State. So right? you, you want to deny? You're, you're, you're there to get an education. I mean and learn. I mean, and I understand sports can be part of it, but it used to all be at the club level.
1: But if you're scholarship should, sports, people who are talented athletes can go to college for free. That doesn't happen at the club level. In fact, at a club level you pay to compete. So, yeah,
3: no, I understand, but we should, we really, this is a whole different conversation, but we should we really passing out free education because you have a genetic advantage.
1: If you have an advantage over someone and that's your ticket to college and to a better life, we should try and encourage that in the same way that if you happen to be, uh, if you have more folds in your brain like Einstein did than I have in my brain, and you get a scholarship to Princeton or wherever, the University of Dusseldorf or wherever he did his stuff, Prussia State, I don't know where it was. Yeah, then he should, because some people do have advantages in different areas, and they should help you. But it doesn't mean we should leave people behind, and it doesn't mean we should basically just say, Hey! All the spoils should go to the richest. Here you are saying, should we give somebody an advantage because of this? When you're paying college athletes, when you're giving them scholarships, when you're giving—I mean, you are giving an advantage to the people who are faster and stronger. Are you for that or against it? I'm confused.
3: No, I, I understand. Uh, that's a good point about Einstein. We do, and we, and we need—we need to get those folks with that kind of talent. But I'm just to the places, but. Einstein went to a place where he's going to study and be surrounded by that kind of people. I think when it comes to athletes, we should do the same. If you have a particular talent, Olympic level talent, or something, we should have academies. I think you use the word right and well, that's separate what they do it out. Europe, I mean,
1: I don't like that. You know what those kids go through? They're 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 pulled apart from their family, from their peers at a young age. They're put in a sport where they're probably still not going to make it, and then by seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, they're washed out. They have no friends. They're distant from their family. All their dreams and hopes are shattered. They're not prepared for life. The Academy system is nothing, nothing we want to emulate. It is torture. It's bad stuff. Sean, I'm going to end with this last piece of feedback. We love it when you rate the show. Please rate the show. We have over 600 ratings. We're averaging 4.7 stars. Here's a five-star rating from Mrs. Peter Wentz, 24, who says, the show is very gay friendly. Thanks. So you're welcome, Mrs. Peter Wentz, 24. So please give us the feedback, give us the rating, please share the show. And I have to tell you, and I'm sorry I didn't say this earlier. We are on the last days of our merchandise sale. This is a limited time opportunity. If you go to our website, you can find a link to buy our super cool swag. It supports the show. You will look fantastic. The sale ends wednesday at 8 p.m that's wednesday august 16th at 8 p.m after the last orders and it'll take two or three weeks to print them up and ship them so please if you've been waiting this is last call for sweet soul of detroit merchandise it's very slimming it makes the the old young the ugly beautiful the slow fast pretty much it will make all your dreams come true isn't that right sean
3: yeah, there's no such thing as ugly. It's subjective. Come on.
1: It will make those who are uh, subjectively not attractive to people who judge <laughs> on superficial things look really, much to everybody. That's much better. Cyrus, where have you been my whole life? You are a beautiful man. And I say that uh, because I know you. And I'd appreciate if you would do us the service, the kindness (laughs) of taking us out.
2: Can you dig Uh. that? Can
1: you dig it? Can you dig it? Joe, are we out?
0: Yep, we are out.
1: Okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, that-